0: The Lifestylist, episode 33, featuring James Swanick. I'm Luke Storey, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. I'd like to now roll out the red carpet for you, my superstar listener. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. I am, of course, your host, Luke Story, and you can find out all about me at a wonderful website called lukestory.com. But enough about me, enough about you, let's get into today's episode. The interview today is with James Swanick, who I found out about because he has this company called Swanee's and they make these orange, blue blocking glasses. You haven't heard about the dangers of blue light? Well, you're gonna learn all about it in this episode. It's super brutal. The artificial lighting that we live in in today's world is really harmful to us on a lot of levels. So James, being the savvy, entrepreneur that he is came up with this sick product. So I'm like, I got to find this guy. turns out he has a podcast. He's got all this other cool stuff going on. So I sit down in his um, office and have a chat with him about that on today's show. It's pretty cool. So we talk about not only the dangers of blue light as they affect you generally, but more specifically how they affect your sleep and just the importance of sleep and other ways that you can improve it. Another thing James likes to talk about and actually has a really cool program on is the benefits of quitting alcohol, even if you're not an alcoholic. Now, you know me, I don't drink because (laughs) if I do, bad things happen and people end up in jail, probably that one person being me for sure. But James has a whole program for people to quit alcohol just to be a more higher functioning person. And uh, so we talk a lot about just drinking and not drinking and his experience with that. It's pretty interesting to me having been someone with quite a history there. And then, of course, we talk about seeing the big picture when it comes to things not going your way. So we get a little philosophical, you know, the ups and downs of entrepreneurship and trying to get out there in the world and make your mark and having things seemingly work against you and how you can cope with that. Uh, We talk about whether or not money can actually make you happy. It's a really interesting uh, viewpoint that he has on that. And a spoiler alert, um, we basically come up with the assumption, or the conclusion rather, that yes, it can make you happy, but there are some key ingredients. Money in itself can't make you happy but money in conjunction with some other things can. And we talk about how to be a marketing beast without being tacky or dishonest. The role of the modern man. How can we guys be a gentleman in dating in our relationships without becoming a doormat and a wuss? And then how, lastly, to build positive habits into your life and to get rid of negative ones. So James is like a serious student of successful people. There's a wall in his office of just all of these personal development books from everyone you've ever heard of in that realm. And he reads, I think he said he reads one a day or one a week or something. And so we talk about a lot of really good success principles. So it's a really inspiring and informative interview, and I can't wait to share it with you. Before we do that, I'd love for you to go to LukeStory.com and sign up for my newsletter. If you do that, every week I'm going to send you an email with an announcement of each new podcast episode along with the show notes. So what are show notes? That's those things that I refer to in every episode, like James will talk about a book and I'll say in the interview, like, oh, we'll put that in the show notes. That's what that is in case you don't know what it is. So rather than you having to go to my site every single time you want to look something up, I'm going to email you those live links, direct clickable links from every single relevant point covered in each interview. But you need to get on my newsletter in order to do that. Something else I'm doing is I'm ramping up my video production. So I just made a video on collecting spring water. I've got another one on bone broth. I'm starting to take all of these cool lifestyle habits and hacks that I talk about and actually present them in how to videos so that you, the listener, can get those in your inbox. But none of that magic happens unless you go over to lukestory.com and sign up for my newsletter. While you're on my site, if you're feeling generous, I'd love it if you could make a contribution to support the show. I'm sure you understand it takes hours and hours every week of my time and all the people that I have to pay to make this possible. So if you go to lukestory.com forward slash support, you can make a small pledge to help kind of keep this thing running. And if not, if you're just here listening and you're not in a position to do that, Dude, totally no pressure. Just keep listening and share this episode with a friend. So thank you once again, and I can't wait for you to dig into this interview with James Swanick. And by all means, make sure to hit subscribe on your podcast player, whatever you're listening to this, so you don't miss next week's episode, number 34, featuring Shiva Rose. She's an amazing earth mama, health and wellness entrepreneur, and we sit down with her and have a really enlightening conversation, so I don't want you to miss that one. Support for this episode comes from Bulletproof, an amazing way to upgrade both your morning coffee and your breakfast so you stay full, cravings-free, and energized for hours. And thanks to new Bulletproof Instamix, you can literally have an amazing creamy latte that supercharges your day anywhere, anytime, in about five seconds. Check it out at bulletproof.com, and while you're there, you can use the coupon code Luke's story to save 10% off your order. James Swanick is an Australian American motivational coach and speaker, investor, and former ESPN anchor on SportsCenter. He's interviewed world leaders and celebrities, including Al Gore, Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, and Hugh Hefner. James is founder of the 30 Day No Alcohol Challenge, which helps people take 30 days off drinking alcohol to find their peak performance and evaluate their relationship with drinking, along with its effects on the human body. He's also co-founder of Swanee's Blue Blocking Glasses, which helps people get better sleep by preventing damaging blue rays from disrupting their nightly rest and look good while doing it. James is the host of the James Swanick Show podcast where he interviews peak performers from all walks of life, pro athletes, business owners, fitness professionals, nutrition specialists, and more on how to live a peak state life and get the best results possible. Really great to see you again. Welcome to the show, James. Thank you for having me, Luke. Absolutely, man. So let's just dive right into, first off, I I didn't have a chance to ask you. We were at a party together yesterday, and I didn't ask you how long you've been living over here in the States, because obviously you have an Australian accent.
1: Yeah, I'm from Brisbane, Australia. I moved here September 30th, 2002, and uh, I didn't know whether I was going to turn left or right out of the airport. And I ended up living in the Hermosa Beach Hostel, about 20 minutes south of Los Angeles Airport for about three months, which was as long as you get it in a tourist visa. And uh, that was the start of my US journey.
0: Awesome. And before you came over here, you were working in TV and stuff like that, right?
1: Yeah. So I I was writing for a broadsheet newspaper back in Brisbane, Australia from age 17 through to age 23. I got a job right out of high school. And then when I was 23, I did what most Australians do at that age. And that is they head for London, where you're allowed to work for a couple of years. There's a treaty between the UK and Australian government. And uh, I got a job at Sky Sports, which is kind of like the British version of Fox Sports. And I covered uh, cricket and rugby, and the World Cups were on that year in 1999. So that was a huge thing for me. And then I used London as a base to go and travel the world and backpack around South America and Brazil and Argentina. And the British pound goes a long way in those South American countries. And then I did something very foolish and fell in love with a British woman who broke my heart. And that was the catalyst for me moving to Los Angeles. And
0: <laughs> you had to get, she must have really done you because that's, oh yeah. that's a long way to get away.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. She dumped me on a Friday night. I was sitting in my Putney apartment, which is in South I've Southwest been to Putney, London. that's oh, yeah. funny, yeah, yeah. I've been there
0: many times, yeah.
1: And on Monday, I quit my job, and so, and then on Friday, September 30th, I flew into uh, Los Angeles in 2002, wow.
0: and then, yeah, I've been here ever since. Interesting, and I'm sure you now, especially what's been so many years, you see that it's one of those situations, I'm sure, now where you're like, oh, thank God that happened. <laughs> yeah. You know, isn't it like, so, so, I mean, you get, even, I have situations where I get a flat tire or something, it's like, oh, how could this happen, and then, you know, the classic, like down the road, there's
1: an accident that you just missed or something oh, like that, yeah. you know what I mean? But there's this great movie, even though it wasn't like a commercially successful movie called Sliding Doors and it has Gwyneth Paltrow in it. And it's, um, you know, a small independent film made, I think maybe late 90s or early 2000s. And the whole premise of the movie is what happens if you just miss a subway or a tube versus what happens if you make the tube? And so she leaves home, she's got a live-in boyfriend, she goes to catch the tube in London and the split screen is she makes it onto the train and she goes off and she's unaware that her boyfriend is having an affair, right? And back in their home, he's sleeping with another woman versus she just misses the train so she's forced to go home to her apartment where she catches her live-in boyfriend sleeping with another woman. And then the whole movie is this split screen of like how her life goes in one area um, if she doesn't know about the affair and how her life goes in another area if she does does know the affair. It's a wonderful movie because I think about that stuff all the time. It's like sometimes you're half an inch too, too soon or you're like a, a day too late and your whole life can go off in completely different different tangents you know that movie um any given sunday with al pacino sure he does there's this great motivational speech that he gives to the team right before the final game of the season and he's like game of football is a game of inches one yard too fast and you don't quite make it one yard too slow and you don't quite get it or something like that the inches that we need are all around us on this field. And it's like, I'm not doing it justice, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But if you watch it again, it's such a great speech for life in general. It's like, if you just push yourself just a little bit more, you can like achieve outstanding success. Versus if you just do an inch less, then maybe your life's mediocre. I think about those things yeah. all the time.
0: Yeah, I do too. I, I think about that a lot. And have had, of course, so many situations in life where there's been painful or challenging disruptions going on and it's like <laughs> it's so hard I think for for a lot of us t- to see the light at the end of the tunnel while we're in it because of the emotional pain or the attachment or whatever it is but then with a little bit of time you know you look back in hindsight and you're like god thank god that
1: horrible thing happened to me yeah you know? Steve Jobs gave a very famous speech where he, s- he called it connecting the dots it's like when you're living in the moment you can't quite connect the dots it's only with the benefit of hindsight that you go ah that meeting with that person led me to here or that breakup with that, that you know, the, the ending of that romantic relationship brought me to here or that particular event that happened created this path for me. Unfortunately, in the moment, we're all like sad or angry or devastated and we don't quite see it. It's only later on that you go back and go, yeah
0: that was supposed to happen. totally. The emotions always cloud, I think, my ability to be able to see (laughs) the possibilities. But, you know, I I think, and maybe you found this to be true, that each time in life that that happens, though, I do log that and I register that for next time. It's like, all right, I'm going to remember. Now I'm looking at it. go, oh, thank God this horrible thing happened. I got to remember this. So the next time I'm in the middle of one of those upheavals, yeah, that I can go, ah, uh-uh, Luke, remember the 10 last times you thought it was the end, you know, it was yeah. all over. Yeah. And now look what happened. And so
1: it's, um, yeah. I mean, it's a,
0: that that alone is a huge mindset change. I mean, if you can really grasp that principle, it's very powerful.
1: And even, even just going back to the example that I gave, like I was in love with this woman in, in London in 2002 and she broke up with me. And if she hadn't have broken up with me, and we'd stayed together, I never would have come to this wonderful country of the United States of America. I never would have, you know, achieved the dreams that I that I had set for myself. I wouldn't be sitting here with you, speaking to you. I I might be back in London, married with a couple of kids, or I might have, you know, broken up with her. I may have ended up living in the UK or going going back to Australia. It's kind of crazy when you when you think about that. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So that was a good relationship example. Can you recall offhand? Something that had to do with your career or business where you were like up for a really big gig or you invested in something and it didn't work out because I know you do a bit of that and you you know you seem pretty business savvy, yeah. You've been involved in a lot of different things and ventures, and we're going to talk about a lot of them today. Uh, Have you had something that you're like, I know this is the big win, and then poof, it just goes away, or you get, you know, cheated or something like that, and then later on you go, Aha, thank God that happened because here I am.
1: Yeah, there's two things that come to mind. 2000 and, uh, end of 2007, beginning of 2008, I started a PR company. Uh, because I had this journalism background and I, I knew how to generate press and get stories published in magazines and newspapers around the world, I started a PR company. And we had a fancy office on Sunset Boulevard, a corner office, sixth floor, beautiful view looking west along Sunset Boulevard and the Hollywood Hills. And we were doing okay for about six, seven months. We got some good clients coming in. They were paying good money. And then I don't know if you remember what happened 2008 with the financial crisis hit and it was just Armageddon all across the world for about a good six-month stretch. And overnight, we lost clients, so we lost revenue coming in. We couldn't get new clients because everyone was, was tightening the purse strings. And I had to shut that business down. Like I had to literally shut it down. And it was devastating because I'm driving this nice car, this Jaguar, silver Jaguar car around Hollywood. i got this corner office. I'm like, I'm the man. I've got all this thing happening. And then... Two months, three months later, we were out of business. And so I'll tell you what I did though. Like I was like, all right, I'm going to go and lick my wounds in Argentina. So I got on a plane and I flew into Buenos Aires because I just read the book, Four Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, who was always talking about living in Argentina. Think
0: of how many plane tickets have been purchased because of that book. (laughs) It's like the airlines owe him royalties, Ah, I think, right. right?
1: Yeah. And I just flew to Argentina and I went, I've always wanted to learn Spanish. So I'm going to go to Argentina, I'm going to learn Spanish. Uh, I've always wanted to learn how to tango and dance and salsa. So I'm just going to learn that and I'm just going to see what happened. And that's what I did. I flew into Buenos Aires. I stayed there for six months. I learned Spanish. I learned how to tango and I decided to quit drinking. I mean, I never drank heavily. I was just a good social drinker, but I drank enough where it was impacting my happiness level. And so when I was there, I was like, when I go back to the States, I'm just going to just see if I can take a break off the booze. And so I came back in the early part of 2010 and on the plane back, I read this book called Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi, which is all about relationships and giving rather than taking out of relationships is lead with giving. And combination of learning Spanish and feeling good about it, quitting the, the booze and changing my mindset to how can I help people rather than how can they help me, just completely transformed my life starting in in 2010, where I got this amazing opportunity to audition to host uh, Sports Center on ESPN, which is like the leading television um, sports program over here. All of those things would never have happened if I hadn't have lost my PR business from the financial crisis and from poor decisions that I was making and overextending myself by getting a Jaguar that I didn't need and getting a corner office that quite frankly, I didn't need either. So that mistake and that F up, so to speak, led me down a path of concentrating on my health, concentrating on my relationships, and ultimately being rewarded for it. So that's so awesome. As you're telling that story, I'm picturing like,
0: had the financial crisis not happened in 2008, and your business really started to take off, your ego starts to get fed. You know, you get the Jaguar, then you get a girl. You have all these celebrity clients. You know, you're Mr. Hollywood. You're really cool. And maybe you have success on one level going that way. And there's nothing wrong with that level, right. you know? But it's like I could see maybe your life being less meaningful and the message and what you're contributing to the world now, which is really good, positive stuff. I mean, even in this conversation, could have never happened. It's like the potential that you had in you could have not been realized, at least in this more meaningful way, yeah, right? absolutely. You've been a guy who makes crushes it, makes tons of money, going out to lunch with Robert Downey Jr., going out to dinner with Gwyneth Paltrow. Like, you know, yeah. you can see the whole like Hollywood thing, right? And, and that's fine, not deprecating that at all. But it's like now you're really having an impact on people and you're a super happy guy.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean You know? So it's about, like,
0: it's one of those things like, God, thank God that didn't happen in a way. But you never really know, do you? I mean, maybe you would have become a really conscious,
1: healthy guy doing that maybe. too. I mean, you don't know. Maybe. I mean, I, I tell you, hanging out with celebs and going to the Oscars and the Playboy Mansion and everything it's fun as hell I'm not going to put it down it's so much fun Um But it's so much fun for a time. And then you start to realize that there are other ways to to get fun. And it comes from a lot simpler things. It comes from like a nice walk. It comes from a nice relationship. It comes from actually serving people. But I don't want to paint a picture that I'm like, also so high and mighty and I'm here to help the world. I mean, I do want to help the world, like products and businesses that I go into now. I love to help people. But don't get me wrong. I'm like, I'm chasing the dollar as well. I like to be rewarded financially for that. For sure. So I'm not yeah. just like I want to help people and not get paid for it. No, I want to help people and get paid for <laughs> totally. it. So totally. So it's a yeah. nice balance, I think. Like yeah. a, and and helping people and seeing that and having people thank you for what you help them with is super rewarding as well as the, the dollars that, that come with it. I interviewed
0: the author John Gray a couple months ago. It was one of my yeah, first a great guy. Yeah, one of my first interviews. And he was talking about the difference between someone who you know, sets out to become spiritual and be quote unquote a good person, you know, and be very conscious and peaceful and loving and do yoga and kind of go down that very spiritual route, which to me, like I would have a preconceived idea. Oh, that's someone who's a real giver and is, mm-hmm. you know, altruistic and all of this. And, and he gave me a really interesting viewpoint on that. Having been someone early in life who spent a lot of time with these gurus and mm-hmm. was like kind of Living this, um, you know, celibate life and just being super spiritual, and it's sort of like the modern version of living in a cave and becoming a spiritual being, right? right. And he was saying, like, to where he's come now, that that's really kind of a cop out. It's like there's nothing wrong with wanting to make money and be successful and have a big house and have a car and whatever it is on the material plane, because you have to have a vehicle by which to bring that spiritual part of yourself or that personal development side of you. Yeah. What, you. know, Some people don't like the word spiritual. I use that a lot, and I think it has a different meaning to me maybe than it does yeah. some. But it's the idea that you either have to become spiritual and go live in a cave and never make money and be broke and eat peanut butter sandwiches, or you're like this money-hungry, greedy entrepreneur who's like doing, you know, online programs and marketing and sales funnels and Mm. all that. And it's like, he kind of helped me reframe it that it's like, it all comes down to the intention, right? Mm. It's like the intention, as you said, which is beautiful is that your intention in any situation is to contribute and give but you're also open to the receiving. Oh yeah. You know, you're not being an idiot <laughs> where you're just like, you know, going to go back and live in a hostel so you can help people. Not there's anything wrong with that, but it's been a hurdle for me to realize like, no, like monetary success and, you know, success financially and being smart with my money and investing and, and all of that is also a way of serving the world. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's, it's like almost like a self-loathing weird neurosis to think that I don't deserve that success or to feel guilty about having it.
1: Yeah. I. It's funny, you know, when I made uh, a financial goal recently, like I, I went for it and I aimed for it and fin- I finally broke through that financial goal. I'm going to be honest, I felt amazing. It wasn't like, oh, it wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. You know, it was actually really good. And so it's this weird kind of contradiction, if you like, because I, we it, no one likes to say that money makes money makes you happy, you know. Because everyone say money doesn't equal happiness, but it made me really happy. And I and and so this is, I'm struggling with it a little bit because in my mind I'm like, I want to be wealthy. I want to be feel rich. I know the dollar amounts that I want to bring in. And so when I got that first goal, I was like, yes. I was like, yeah. And I still feel great about it. A great sense of accomplishment. Versus people who say money can't buy you happiness. And now I almost part of me feels guilty for like chasing the dollar and getting that dollar.
0: <laughs> you disprove that whole concept.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know, really. It's yeah, like in a seriously, way, yeah. 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 So um, I think what gave me pleasure wasn't the, it wasn't the money. It was, it was, I mean, it was the money, but I think it was the having achieved the goal and the way in which I achieved the goal. And the way in which I achieved the goal was creating a great product, I think, which helps thousands of people around the world, you know? And so because I did it in an authentic way and because I did it being open and honest and trustworthy and just, and and like there was no sneaky marketing, there was no screwing anyone over, it was all just done in just a, Beautiful, honest, open way, and I did it with my youngest brother tristan who 's my business partner in this in the sleep company and so it felt good to do it with family and I first dreamt up the idea of the of the swannie 's blue light blocking glasses and the sleep company that i 'm referring to two years ago when I was running between Bondi Beach and Bronte Beach in Sydney, Australia. And as I'm running, I'm thinking, you know, I really want to do a product and I really want to do it with my brother Tristan because he's not really working at the moment and I think it'd be really good for him. And, you know, fast forward two years, we met this financial goal with with the company and it felt bloody amazing quite frankly so I'm going to say money does buy you happiness but it's the way that you make the money that I think equals the the real happiness
0: totally and just from the little I know about you you're also doing a lot of other things in terms of your mindset and the way that you view the world and the way that you interact with people so it's like the intention behind that in other words you can't be walking around full of fear, full of hate, full of resentment, hostility, greediness, selfishness, jealousy, envy like all these lower emotions, then make a bunch of money and think the money's going to fix that. Yeah. Right? That's the distinction. It's like you're doing all this great stuff and then like a pile of money shows up because you you fucking earned it. It's like, yeah, then the money makes you happy, but it, you have the ability to be happy From the money because of everything else that you're doing as a lifestyle. You know, it's like you have, you practice gratitude and appreciation and thankfulness as a way of being in the world. And then it's like, wow, cool. Here's this awesome reward for some idea that I, I gave birth to, you know?
1: Did you ever watch that show Breaking Bad? The AMC oh, yeah. <laughs> It was so show?
0: toxic but I watched every single one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: I was so addicted to that show. Like I am glad it ended. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a good show. Yeah. Jesse, you know the character Jesse? He sure. was the younger kind of apprentice underneath the bad uh, bad guy um, uh, Walter, Walter White, Walter yes. White. So you know Jesse made millions and millions of dollars but do you remember towards the end of the of the, the final series he starts like throwing the money away giving it away just throwing it or leaving it in, in parks and like just dumping it and that's a great example or analogy of someone that just who made all the millions that he wanted but just was not happy because of the way that he got the money because of what it represented because people died for him to get the money and he was just like and in the end he's like I don't want the money he's like take it I don't want it I don't want it so he's been for five seasons scrapping trying to get all this money and then finally he gets it and he's like get it away from me because he just feels so repelled and disgusted and he's so filled with self-loathing about how he got it yeah so that's That's really great.
0: I actually remember watching that, and the feeling I had was like, "God, give that to me because I'm already happy It will just, <laughs> just add to my life like i have cracked the code on happiness, but I haven't cracked the code on suitcases full of cash, yeah you know? but yeah, I remember watching that, and that was my thought. I was like, oh God,
1: don't do that don't do that would you was there ever any was there ever a time when you got some kind of financial windfall whether it was like in one go or you got a promotion or a raise in work or something like, did that give you like a, was it a short-term burst of happiness and then it died down or was it sustaining? Like, You know, I don't think I've, <laughs>
0: I don't think I've ever had a situation in which I had a massive windfall all Mm -hmm. at once. It's more like you're saying, like, I've made a goal or a benchmark. Like, I have a business called School of Style, which is a fashion school. Uh You know, we set, you know, whether it's a quarterly goal or just for a particular launch that we're doing or something like that, and it goes well, and we either meet or exceed our expectations. And it feels satisfying for a minute, but I tend to forget about it pretty quickly. Yeah. You know, because I'm just, I don't know, it's always on to the next thing. Not necessarily on to the next you know, benchmark monetarily speaking, but it's just like, I don't know, it doesn't mean that much because it just goes fast too. It's all, you know, you're pouring it back in the company or something like that. I think right now, um, if I got like a nice windfall, if we had a win with that business, for example, and I got a huge check, I probably feel pretty good about it because if I didn't have to like reinvest it in something else, and yeah. I could, you know, in, like actually invest in a property or do something more meaningful yeah. with it, than just like pour it back into yeah. the company. Yeah. So I haven't had I haven't been really elated just because it kind of goes back in the machine and mm. it's a means to an end, and eventually it's going to mm. you know pay off because it's adding to the value of that company as an asset. Yeah. Do you know? What, I'll tell you recently. You know what? I- actually, though, here I, yeah. I got one for you on yeah. a materialistic plane. I was driving a 2003 BMW X5 for the past 10 years, okay? And I I was paid for it, you know, the five-year mark or whatever it was. And I really felt like I was being frugal in a good way uh, for not going and leasing or financing a new car it's like it's fine it's a 2003 it doesn't look that sexy but it runs it's still a BMW I love driving it and it was paid for so I was like aha I don't have a car payment and then I noticed over the past couple years it started I started putting in the shop a lot more and my warranty had long since expired Mm -hmm. and I was like, geez, I'm spending a little money on that. And then it got really ridiculous at one point last year. And so I, I just went in my drawer and I, you know, i got the little folder and I added up all those receipts and I averaged it out over the course of one year. I think it was maybe 2015 and I was spending $700 a month to, to repair the car, you yeah. know? And it was like, oh it's my mad. God, I wish I would have realized that. So I immediately, you know, went down to the dealer and I, Th- you know, at the advice of a CPA, um, leased one under my business, a brand new 2016 mm. BMW, and it's just beautiful. And I'm so grateful every time I get in that car, you mm. know. And it's like, yeah, the piece of plastic and metal and rubber, whatever the hell the thing's made of, doesn't make me happy. But it's that I'm in a position in my life where I own a business that it makes sense to pay for it, you mm. know. And, That's great. And I really, and en- I actually enjoy the feeling of driving it around. And then I'm also aware of the fact if I drive by some cute girls, I'm like, oh, look at my car. You know, I see my ego oh, also yeah. likes it, but I'm aware of it. So it doesn't control me as much as it maybe would have if I was 25 and you put me in a car that costs that much money. I would, it would be totally an ego thing. Now I like literally just really enjoy the way it drives, the way it feels. It's just yeah. a great, it's just a really well-designed piece of machinery. Yeah. So that's made me happy for a few months. I mean, I'm like, yeah, I really love my car.
1: Yeah, it's funny, you know, I, I don't own a car. I live in Los Angeles where you would think everyone needs a car, but Uber has completely changed the city. This I have city. a
0: friend that does that too.
1: Yeah. Do, and you, I, and do you, I, you
0: find that you're more productive because you can like do oh emails and stuff while someone's driving you around?
1: I'm going to tell you the pros and the cons okay. of not owning a car, okay? And there's only one con as, as, as I see it. Um, and it comes back to ego a little bit. So the pros for me is that I have a driver who's on demand whenever I want. That driver picks me up, Offers me water and I sit in the back and I do work, right? I do whatever I need to do with my business. I'll call someone, I'll do emails, maybe I'll do a Snapchat, social media type stuff. Like, So let's just say I'm taking a 20 to 30 minute trip. I can do 20 or 30 minutes of work while I have no distractions. Versus if you're driving, you've got to concentrate on the road. Is there a stoplight? Do you turn left, right? They've got other traffic. Like I don't need to worry about that at all. So for me, taking an Uber around Los Angeles is totally worth it. I did the math. It works out at like 400 bucks a month for me to navigate the city. That's cheap. (laughs) That's cheap, That's much cheaper than a luxury car, yeah. So then people say, that's crazy. You should own a car. You don't have a car? What, What are you talking about? Well, here's the thing. I'm not spending money on parking tickets. I'm not spending money on valet. I'm not spending money on repairs. I don't have to spend money on insurance. I don't have to spend money on... Uh, registration. I don't have to spend money on if, if I get into a crash. I don't have to worry about all those kind of things. So even though I don't own a piece of machinery at the end of it and I'm paying $400 to be transported, for me, it makes complete financial sense and productivity sense for me not to own a car. Here's the con. Dating. If you, have, if you have a girlfriend, if you have a girlfriend and she owns a car and you don't own a car, and you end up taking longer trips where you wouldn't ordinarily get in an Uber, like for example, if you're going to go from West Hollywood to Venice Beach or Santa Monica, or you were going to go an hour or two out of town, she invariably is going to drive her car. And if there's no insurance for you, which there isn't in my case, she's the one driving. Now, people would say that's fine. Just let let her drive but from a masculinity or a male energy feminine energy thing I didn't realize how bad it was like letting <laughs> your girlfriend drive the car it's like oh, she hates dude. it and you kind of feel like her bitch in a little, a little <laughs> way
0: dude, I'm like if you guys could see me I'm trying so hard not to laugh because I want you to finish your
1: yeah yeah so yeah. that caused, caused a lot of friction in, in my romantic relationship because just the simple act of her driving the car and transporting us long distances caused us, you know, caused friction. So that is a problem. I, I, up, um, I wised up and ended up renting cars on weekends and would pick her up and then we'd go on, you know, lengthier trips and that worked great. But even midweek, if you like, it makes sense to drive rather than get an Uber together, she would be driving around and that kind of sucks.
0: That's really funny. I, I haven't talked to that many uh, men about that particular topic <clears throat> I guess cuz most of them, you know, have cars and so it's like a non issue but I've always had a car but even if I go somewhere with a woman that I'm dating and we happen to take their car for whatever reason like I have to drive like I just I it's not it's not even like an ego thing or a macho thing it has nothing to do with that it's just A, I really like driving. I don't even like being a passenger. So I'm always the designated driver. If we go take a road trip with the boys, like we're always taking my car because I'm not going to be the passenger. But especially with a woman, I always feel like I'm a little boy and like my mom's driving me around. But it's not an ego thing. Like you said, it's like a masculine energy thing. It's just like, I want to be in control. But then I look at my dad, and my dad is a man's man, bro, and he loves it when his wife drives. You know, he's older, and she's a great driver, and she drives safe, and he's very comfortable with that, and he doesn't seem to be have any problem with that. So, you know, maybe it's something they need to work on to relinquish that control. There's
1: no black and white. Like everyone's different. A a man and the way that he was raised or his belief system can be completely different to the way a woman was raised in his belief system and and each man can can differ to another man. So I grew up in a household where my mother was a very strong character. Like she was almost like bordering on a feminist where it's like equal pay, equal roles, equal thing... So I said this to her like, oh, my girlfriend's feeling a bit funny because she's driving. She goes, oh, that's ridiculous, James. Who cares? She's just fine. You should all go, you should go Dutch when you're spending things, 50-50 and blah, blah, blah. It's like, so I grew up in that environment and, the, and even today now, she's still of that mindset. And then I've dated girls before where they're like, that's the worst thing that you could possibly do to them. Like I dated this Brazilian woman for a year or, uh, a year or so about three years ago. And uh, she absolutely never wanted to pay for anything. She always wanted to be driven places. She wanted to feel like she was a possession and she wanted the very traditional roles of masculine energy, feminine energy. She wanted me to drive. She wanted me to take care of things. She wanted me to do all those things. And in return, she was really feminine and beautiful and she might cook a meal here and there and she'd be pretty and she'd like support. And it was the complete opposite of what my mother would encourage. So there's so many different ways of doing it. And when I dated that Brazilian woman, it was shocking to me because I grew up in a household where it was so like go down 50-50, you don't have to take control. It's So it, it gets complicated and it also can be easy once you figure out each person's style. But figuring out each person's style can sometimes cause complications.
0: I totally relate to that. Yeah, I was raised in, in a very similar way and I've had different types of relationships too with women uh that are definitely more like they want that traditional, they want to feel cherished and taken mm. care of. And and that, I actually like that. It's just, there's also been times where there's, like it borders on a sense of entitlement, mm. you know, because there's not like an appreciation of it. It's just sort of like, well, yeah, of course, this is the way it is. Like you just do everything. And there's not really like any reciprocation in terms of, yeah you know not like you're owed something you want to give with no strings attached of course but yeah. it's nice to feel appreciated at the same time you know that's kind of the other side of that but i i would say for myself i'm definitely more on the old school thing i want to drive i want to pay for things like i just like doing it, it makes me feel really good to be able to do that it, i'm i've gone from
1: being actually annoyed and pissed off when girls didn't offer to pay Half right, and and I was stuck in that zone for like a number of years because of what I grew up in. To now, uh, I want to pay like, I want to actually pay and I want to take care and I want to be that role. And I I actually probably prefer the new way now. And uh, but I it's so funny, like, I just remember years and years and years almost like ask a woman out on a date, and when the bill came and the check came, it was like a test. It was like a test to see whether she offered to pay. And if she didn't and I paid for it, I would be like, I'd be so angry and I'd be pissed off and i go, oh, bugger this girl, I'm done with her, you know. Yeah. And it, that was stupid of me to think that. But that, nevertheless, that's the way I thought. To now, I almost like don't want them to do the fake reach for the purse. You know, I was like, oh, shut up. And now I'm like actually happy. I got this. And just for her to say, oh, okay, thank you. Now I actually prefer that. So whatever your mindset is, you can change. Like it can change. Yeah. Um, it's not so, it doesn't have to be black and white and stay the same forever. And, and what works for me now might not work for other people or I may change back again, who knows?
0: Totally, I think that's the thing is just being, keeping an open mind and being flexible and malleable and like willing to play around with it because it reminded me in my last relationship actually, I would just do little tests sometimes and just let her drive, like my car, we were going somewhere because my car was just nicer and a better drive, more reliable actually is what it was. And it took me a minute to get used to it, but then I just like Luke, let go, you know, just like surrender. Why do you have to be in control all the time? And it was actually kind of nice, but I still would like prefer it the other way. But yeah. I would kind of test that out a little bit. Yeah. So it sounds like you already have a solution for you: is the renting a car. But have you looked into just altering the insurance plan so it covers you? So you yeah. Confer- she
1: had a very particular. Um- she has a very particular insurance plan. Her father owns the car, and the way that it's set up is that she's an employee of that company, and right? So, and so there's only a certain number of designated drivers that can drive that car, and so I see. and I'm not I'm not one of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I still like I still like your Uber method. And my friend David Solomini, who's probably going to end up listening to this at some point, he does the same thing, and he can afford a car, like I'm sure you can. Yeah. And uh, his girlfriend has a car, and they share that sometimes. But yeah, whenever I go hang out with them, I'm like. Oh, where'd you park? He's like, park, I'm an Uber. He goes, dude, you know how much I get, he lives like all the way on the east side. He goes, you know how much I get done like on the way to a meeting in West Hollywood from Silver Lake? He's like, I just knocked out all my emails for the whole day. Yeah. Now me, me, I'm the idiot that's like doing that at every red light. And I hate to admit that I don't, kids listening at home, please don't don't do that. Yeah, but you know, it's a a bad habit actually, which which leads me into another thing that we're going to talk about is habits. But I want to make sure we cover a couple of things and don't just shoot the shit the whole time i 'm really fascinated by your eyewear company and your sleep well your sleep company, which you know includes the product that you 're wearing on your face right now, so I found out about this whole blue light phenomenon maybe i don 't know probably two years ago or something like that, and have mm-hmm. been making a lot of changes in terms of my home lighting. It's something I talk about on the show a lot is installing amber bulbs in my house. And even in my refrigerator, I have an amber bulb instead of this white-blue white, white blue LED. And I started getting these really horrific-looking orange glasses on Amazon and, you know, like wearing them in the house usually, but then I started wearing them out a little bit. It's really mortifying. And then I find you and, and uh, what you're wearing, and they're like some actually some really cool-looking glasses that block the blue light. So for the listeners that have no idea why you would want to block blue light, like run me through that whole spiel and why you created the product that you did.
1: Yeah, sure. So we're all addicted to our cell phones now and to our computers and iPads. And at nighttime, we're all sitting underneath our kitchen light or our living room light. On our bedside table, there's an alarm clock in most homes where it's emitting light. Essentially, there's too much light at night. Just to go back a step, to give context here, before the invention of the light bulb, in fact, let's go back to when we were cavemen and cavewomen. We would go to sleep when the sun went down or we'd light a fire, we'd tell some stories and then we'd go to sleep. And then we would get up when the sun came up. But today, in today's modern world, when the sun goes down, we switch on all of these lights, the street lights, the bedroom light, the car lights, the restaurant lights, and we're sitting in all of this artificial light. And that light is blue light. It's called blue light and it emits a blue light and it's hitting our eyes and it's hitting our brains and what it's doing is that it is preventing our bodies from naturally producing melatonin and melatonin is what we humans need in order to feel sleepy, to fall asleep, to have deep REM sleep and to wake up feeling nice and refreshed. So if you stare at your cell phone and your computer in the last two hours before you go to sleep every night. If you're an entrepreneur, you're working away on the computer. If you have a job, you're checking your Instagram or your your Snapchat or you're checking email on your phone, or you're watching reruns of Breaking Bad on Showtime or HBO, or you're watching Game of Thrones on a Sunday night at 9 p.m. Blue light from those electronics is hitting your eyes and preventing your body from creating the amount of melatonin that it naturally wants to create. What problem is that causing? It's causing you to struggle to fall asleep, it's reducing the amount of time that you spend in deep REM sleep during the night, which means a lot of times you toss and turn in the night and you wake up in the morning feeling tired, lethargic, even though you may have got 7 or 8 hours sleep, which is what everyone says you should get, for some reason you're still tired. How does that work? Well, it's most likely because you were using your electronics and staring in light for the two hours before you went to bed each night. So that's the problem. The solution is to block the blue light. Now, the best way you can block blue light is to sit in darkness. It's just go into your apartment and turn off all the lights and maybe light a candle and that's it because a candle light's not going to suppress your melatonin, but artificial blue light is. But let's face it, you're not going to go home tonight and sit in darkness, and I'm sure as hell not going to sit around in darkness And I'm not going to not go out and socialize at night. So the only things that you can do that work are, well, here are three things. One, if you're using a computer, you can download an app called Flux, F dot L-U-X. And what that does is that it naturally reduces the brightness level of your computer as the sun goes down. So at seven o'clock at night, if the sun sets, your computer will automatically start to take away all of that brightness level. So the blue light exposure to your eyes is far reduced. Second thing, if you have an iPhone or a Samsung smartphone, if you're using an iPhone, you use Night Shift. There's a little setting there if you've got the latest software update. And Night Shift is the same thing. You just turn it on, it reduces the brightness level in your phone and so you're not getting as much exposure to blue light. And then it's called twilight if you have a Samsung. And then third, wear a pair of blue light blocking glasses. Uh, that's the pair of glasses that I'm wearing. I designed this pair. These are called Swannies. It's by my company, Swanic Sleep. You wear these things 90 minutes before you go to sleep. You put them on so that way you can still watch TV, you can still look at your cell phone, you can still work on a computer, you can still brush your teeth in the bathroom and the light that comes down and hits you is being blocked by these orange lens in these blue light blocking glasses. So if you wear those and you do night shift and you'd use Flux... Those three things combined are going to ensure that your body's producing enough melatonin for you to get a good night's sleep.
0: Yeah, and I also want to clarify because this is something, thank you for the synopsis, by the way, very concise. (laughs) I also want to point out, because people ask me this all the time when I'm caught wearing my orange glasses or they come Mm -hmm. to my house and everything's orange at night, is that they don't, when you say blue light, they're like, I don't see any blue lights. Where's blue lights? And there's like white LEDs all over the place, right? Yeah, yeah. So what we're talking about here just for the listener is not like a blue colored light it's a actually looks like a white light like think of a modern car's headlight yeah. that's a great example of a blue light so it looks white but why it's blue is because the other color spectrums of um, purple orange and red have been removed and that's what makes led lights i just found this out uh, that's what makes them energy efficient Mm. is because they don't they don't they don't make any heat either it's a very cold light so it uses less power which is great for the environment and great for your bills but horrendous for your brain and for your sleep and it's funny man i you know i I just found out about this as i said a couple years ago and i've been staring into a giant iMac that's like a foot from my face for years now since i've i've had like a big computer like that and uh and my vision is really starting to get bad, and I always had perfect vision. And it's like I went, "Oh my God!" I really believe that um, that has a lot to do with it. So I, uh, like you mentioned, flux. I keep that on all the time. Like I never have my computer just sending pure blue light because the light inside your phone and inside your computer monitor is LED, mm-hmm. which really limits, you know, the scope or the range of that color temperature, and yeah. it's just really bad for you. And I, I love the way that you framed it around how we've evolved and because to some people this would sound paranoid like god who cares like it's it's like a just a fad or something like that. But if you think about how we've evolved is exactly what you said. The sun goes down then we have to light a fire in order to see, which is of course, amber, gold, red light, right? Maybe a little purple. And then the fire goes out and you go to bed and you wake up with the dawn. That's hunter gatherer style Mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. And then with the advent of the incandescent bulb, now we have artificial light at night, but it wasn't actually as bad before because incandescent bulbs aren't all blue. They no. actually, they're like a fire. So they actually yeah. have, you know, a much warmer temperature. But. It's really in the past few years that everything, everywhere you go is fluorescent LED that it's gotten out of control. So I, I just love that you made this product and also that the glasses, you know, you guys could we'll put them in the show notes, I'm sure. But they look cool. They're like a nice frame. They don't look ridiculous like the ones most of us biohackers are wearing. I mean, it's really embarrassing. If I go out with mine, every person's like, what's up with the glasses, bro? I mean, I'm going to get clowned on all night to the point where it's like, all right, really? I'm not even going to wear them because I have to explain it to everyone. I should make a little card that just is like, <laughs> here, learn about blue light. Just stop busting my balls. So, um, so you have a sleep company then, and I heard you mentioning yesterday we were at a, at a at a party together, and you were talking about maybe possibly even expanding some other things within that company. What else do you have in mind in terms of sleep?
1: Yeah, well, we've just launched uh, a sleep a sleeping mask. Um, so the problem with sleeping masks up until now is, you know, you get on a plane, they give you that sleeping mask. It's those terrible little things that feels uncomfortable in the back of your head. It only covers like just barely covers your eyes and it's kind of cheap and nasty. I wanted to make an oversized mask that makes sure that it blocks almost 100% of the light that might come through either at nighttime as you're trying to go to sleep or when you wake up in the morning if the sun's coming through. So I designed 100% pure silk sleeping mask that's oversized. It actually looks big on your face. Uh, And that gives you like the best coverage. It's really important if you are going to get seven or eight hours sleep or whatever, however many hours you want to get, that you're not woken up in the morning by light coming through your windows. The best thing to do is like get big, thick, heavy curtains and make sure no light comes through. But if you cannot do that, the second best thing obviously is to wear a a big oversized sleeping mask like the one um, we've produced um, we're looking at a magnesium spray or a magnesium cream. They've done these studies that show that magnesium is a great building block for melatonin. You can buy melatonin pills, but here's the problem. If someone takes 10 milligrams of melatonin once a week or even once every couple of weeks, that's actually okay. It'll knock you out. You'll sleep really well. That's a great way to sleep. The problem is, is that if you do that too much, it inhibits your body's natural melatonin producing ability. So it's like anything, you, you take too much of anything, then it's gonna, you're going to prevent yourself from actually being able to create it naturally. So magnesium seems to be a great way of enhancing melatonin's natural production. So we're looking at a magnesium cream and a magnesium spray. And then there's a couple of other things we're doing, maybe like a supplement, which has got um, a couple of other things that help promote relaxation and sleep, like pH gubber and um, tryptophan, and um, you know a few other things. So we haven't gone down that route yet. The main product and the sort of like the flagship product, if you like, has been the blue light blocking glasses. But you know, I think in the future we'll move into mattresses. You know, we'll try and find the most comfortable mattress for sleep. Air diffusers, you know, like nice. Uh, we'll do a sleep app where it plays noises that are designed to help you fall asleep and then stay asleep. There's so many things we can do.
0: Awesome, man. That's great. I love the eye mask idea. I, I think I heard about one from Tim Ferriss a while ago, and uh, ended up, you know, geeking out and finding it. And it's, it's like kind of an oversized one. Mm. It's a little thick, so it depends on like what side you lay on your head. It can kind of push into your head because yeah. there's this velcro on the back oh, yeah, and stuff, yeah, you know?
1: Yeah. I don't like that. I've tried those <clears throat> ones yeah. with the velcro. But it's
0: it's better than the one they give you, like you said, when you get on the plane in your little gift bag or whatever. Yeah. And it's it's the one I use when I travel because it does really block out the light, but it's quite thick and that makes it a little bit difficult.
1: And, yeah. I know the style that you're referring to. It feels quite big like you're almost wearing a helmet. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's what I'm
0: saying. It's too thick in the back because it has this velcro. But I, I've got to say that I really like the idea because when I At home, I mean, my room is black, like dark, black, black. You Mm. can't see anything, you know? Uh, And I achieved that in a number of different ways. It was pretty challenging. But uh, when I travel... I always, you know, usually I go to New York a lot for work and um, I usually stay in an Airbnb and I used to try to like look in their reviews and email them, do you have blackout curtains? And what people think are blackout curtains to me aren't blackout curtains. Mm. Like I'm talking about no light getting in. Like a lot of hotels will have like true blackout, you know? So I got duped quite a few times on Airbnb. And even the last place I stayed a few months ago, beautiful, like one bedroom in Chelsea. I walked in, I was like, oh my God, this is the best Airbnb ever. It's a gorgeous place and the guy told me he had blackout curtains and he did and then i went in the bedroom and the curtain rods were like broken yeah so i couldn't close them you know so it's times like that and yeah. my sleep would be devastated if i'm getting light peeking through yeah so like the sleep mask for travel especially is like non-negotiable you got to have it
1: yeah and it's funny like hotel rooms you're right they have those big thick heavy curtains and no light comes in and they're excellent But then I'll tell you, for me, I have to sleep with very hard pillows. Like I'm a hard pillow guy. I like having my head rest back on a hard pillow. And a lot of hotel rooms have those big fluffy soft pillows. Man, I cannot sleep if it's a soft pillow. Like it's a disaster. So even though sometimes in hotel rooms I'm like, yes, the curtains are blacked out. Great. I'm not going to get woken up by the light and I'll get a good night's sleep. I then have this problem with the sleeping pillows and that, I have to find know, a cushion and like put a sleeping, <laughs> sleeping cover over over like the cushion just to try and get that firmness. You right.
0: Know? I actually travel with my own pillow. Do you? Yeah, a Samina pillow. It's the most, it's not hard, so you wouldn't like it, but it's, it's quite thin. It's like a natural latex and uh, it's from a company called Samina that make these, Fantastic beds, but they're quite expensive. So I'm working my way up from the pillow. Okay. <laughs> I started with the pillow. You know, the bed can cost you like up to $30,000. Yeah. Like 10 grand is like your starter level, you know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm piecing it together yeah. little by little. Yeah. So uh, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was your 30 day no alcohol challenge. And this thing that you have going, I want to let people know about what that's all about. And Mm -hmm. you mentioned that you quit drinking as a social drinker just Mm. because you're like, you know what, I could perform better, I could be happier. My background is I was never a social drinker from the very first one I had. I was absolutely destined to be an alcoholic and proceeded to do so quite effectively um, thankfully I've managed to quit with a lot of help you know years ago it's been almost 20 years mm. so I I have no idea what it's like to be a social drinker where like you know you have a couple of beers out with your friends you go to the game and then you just go home and go to bed and everything's normal but maybe the next day you, you know your performance is a little off or you stayed up a little later than you wanted to there's some negative effects but you're able to still control it and and thus enjoy it and a guy like me you're either enjoying it, which means you're doing too much of it, or you're controlling it, which means you're not enjoying it because you're controlling it. Mm. The only way that I know how to drink is too much, and that's mm. the only way I enjoy it. But there were such dire consequences that eventually I threw in the towel and you know, really sought help and have since, you know, thankfully, been able to abstain. But what does your challenge entail? Because I heard you mention it was for social drinkers. Um, tell me a little bit about that.
1: So, like I said, I grew up in Australia. It's a very big drinking culture there. I'd play rugby on a weekend and then after the game, you'd go into the pub or the bar and you'd drink copious amounts of beer and you'd celebrate and then midweek, you'd catch up with friends. Hey, you want to go and grab a couple beers? Yeah, sure, grab a couple beers. Sunday afternoon, barbecue. Hey, you want to come over? Yeah, bring some drinks and whatever. Have a few wines, have a couple beers. Uh, sometimes I'd get drunk. Not a lot, but sometimes I'd get drunk. Um, most times I'd wake up the next morning, whether I was drunk or not, feeling irritable, tired, hungover. And in about 2009, like I said, just before I quit, I'd put on a few pounds. Like I'd stopped playing rugby here in LA. I didn't exercise as much. And I got up to 218 pounds.
0: Wow, that's hard to imagine because you're really fit now. Thank
1: you. I mean, you're like, you I look like you. an athlete. I'll bring up a photo, a fat face photo of me. I can show <laughs> you what I looked like. If Please like. do. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I remember I went to the South by Southwest Festival in Austin, Texas in 2010. And I flew in there from LA on a Friday. Afternoon, and I went out to a party that night, and I just drank two gin and tonics. That's all I drank. It was Bombay Sapphire gin and tonic, two free drinks at a free party I was at. And I was staying in a hotel twenty minutes outside of Austin, and um, I woke up the next morning with this really bad hangover, and I and was like, "That's weird. I only had two drinks the night before, but I, I just felt really ordinary." And uh, so there was a there was an IHOP, an International House of Pancakes, right next door to this hotel that I was staying in. So I went in there to have the traditional hangover breakfast and I sat down and I'm looking to the left and right of me and these, there were these big kind of like obese people eating the all-you-can-eat pancakes with the maple syrup and I'm looking out the window and the hotel and the IHOP was next to a freeway so it wasn't a very pleasant sight looking out the window and the, the menu of the IHOP food had all these big bright bold colours and it just looked disgusting quite frankly. And I remember sitting there just going enough, James, like it's time for a break. Like you've got to take a break here. Aren't, aren't you sick and tired of these stupid little hangovers? So I just said to myself, you know what? I'm just going to see if I can go 30 days without having a drink just to see if I can do it, just to see what it might feel like. And so that's what I did. I, I, I went 30 days and in 30 days, I lost 13 pounds of fat my skin got better. I slept better. I was more productive. I noticed that the, the quality of my relationships were considerably better in those 30 days. I was less irritable. I was just a generally nicer, more agreeable person. So I got to 30 days and I went, you know what? I'll just – wonder if I can go for 40 days. Let's just push this a little further. So I got to 40 days and I was like, wow, I'm feeling pretty good. And then I joined a gym and I started to work out. And then I said, what if I can go 50 days? What if I can do 60 days. What if I can do 90? And I just kept going. I ended up going a year. I found myself back at the South by Southwest Festival in 2011. I went into this bar called the, uh, the Luster Pearl Bar. It was an outside bar in Austin. And I went up to the bar and I ordered a Budweiser. And I was going to have the celebratory drink, you know, for like one year, no alcohol. I ordered the beer, I paid for it, and I put it up to my lips and I smelled it. And it smelled really good, quite frankly. But for whatever reason, I just said to myself, you know what? The pros of not drinking, like all the benefits that I've had this year from not drinking, I got my dream job hosting sports SportsCenter on ESPN, I've lost a lot of weight, my romantic relationships are better, I'm sleeping better, I'm happier, I'm into new things. All of those benefits far outweigh any temporary illusionary pleasure that I get from drinking. So I put the Budweiser down, I handed him back and said, you know what, give me a water instead. And I haven't touched a drop of alcohol since. So it's, that, was, that was 2011. I quit 2010. And now as we're recording this, it's you know, the end of 2016. It's been six, almost, almost seven years. And uh, you know, I'm sure I'll drink again one day and that's okay. It's not like, oh my God, you had a drink. That's a disaster. No, it's just, I just choose to live a lifestyle that's alcohol free. And I just, for me, I just feel that's a hell of a lot better than, than the alternative.
0: Cool. And then you've created a program for people that want to do the same, right?
1: Yeah. A couple of years ago, I was just going, a lot of people keep asking me about the fact that I don't drink. I wasn't promoting it, but people would ask me on podcast interviews and TV shows and things like, is it true you don't drink? Tell me about that. And I was like, okay. And I told the story. And I remember one day just thinking, I wonder if I could build a program and just help people like help the social drinker. And so that's what I did. I created this program. It's called 30 Day No Alcohol Challenge. You can check it out at 30daynoalcoholchallenge.com. People sign up. Um, every day, I'm gonna, I am send you a, an email with a video in it. And it's like day one, it's like, welcome to the challenge. All right, here's what you say when your friends are encouraging you to have a drink. And then day two, it might be, welcome to day two of the challenge. Here's what you do when you uh, have the urge to drink. Here's what you do to make sure you don't have that drink. Day three, here's um, some great non-alcoholic drinks that you can try instead and so forth and so forth. That's, me-
0: I wish I would have had that 20 years ago. <laughs> it would have it it helped me like any little thing like that. Yeah. But as I said, I was, I think, in a different class.
1: So, so carry on. And then people go into a closed Facebook group And what I've learned, I read this book called uh, The Power of Habit. You can see it on my bookshelf there by Charles Duhigg. And he says that real change occurs amongst other people. When you have accountability and you have a group of people all doing the same thing, that's when real change occurs. So in this closed Facebook group, members go in there and they support one another. So they'll go, I'm on day seven, but I really want to drink. And then a hundred other people will jump in and go, you don't need it. Here, you should try this. And that accountability and actually... Telling other people like I'm on day seventeen, I'm on day two, I'm just starting, and other people jumping in and encourage them really holds people accountable and and gets them through to those thirty days. Um, you know, I just I have I've had uh, I think maybe four or five people who've gone a year who started initially wanting to plan to do thirty days and then they've got to a year. And they just massive, massive believers in it. Like it's changed their whole life. They've lost weight. They're more energetic. They're happy with their family and kids. They're less irritable. They look better. It's pretty cool. And then a lot of people will do it for 30 days and then they'll go back to drinking, but they'll do it at, a, at such a moderate level compared to what they were drinking when they started to do the 30-day no alcohol challenge. So they ease back into it. They still enjoy a champagne or a wine or a beer on occasion. But now it's not like a necessity. It's not a social crutch anymore. It's just something to do if they feel like it.
0: Yeah, there's some contrast. They've seen the other side of it. I think that's really cool, man, because... I've never actually heard of a program that's designed for people who aren't an alcoholic. Yeah. And I'm sure you've had people that are alcoholics that take your thing and they they don't know that. And maybe they find out because they're unable to stop on their own. You know, it's like you could have given me the 30 day challenge. I would have lasted about three hours, you know, before I had a drink. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm in the Facebook group. Here I go. This is going to be great. And someone goes, hey, want a beer? I go, ah, yeah, I'll do this thing tomorrow. Yeah. But um, I think it's really neat because you're meeting, you're really meeting um, a demographic of people that. Have not been served, at least to my knowledge, in that way. You either, you know, you realize you have a problem at a certain point, you seek help, you go to treatment, you, you know, you join a 12 step group, you do something like that in order to help you with like a really severe malady, such yeah. as alcoholism or drug addiction. But what about the people who haven't crossed that line and perhaps never will cross that right. line to the point of having, you know, this serious quote unquote disease, but still are finding that it's taking away from their yeah. life? It's like they don't fit in a 12 step program. They're not. They don't have that thing, you know. Or what do you do? Just like try and discipline yourself. That might even be hard, even if you're not a real alcoholic. It's still without that group support, like you're saying, that peer support, that mastermind kind of energy. It could be difficult, I think, even for a social drinker.
1: Yeah, I mean, I never identified with being an alcoholic. I wasn't an alcoholic, nor did I want to admit that I was an alcoholic, even if I was one. And I sure as hell didn't want to go to an AA meeting and say, "Hey, my name's James, and I'm an alcoholic." No way in hell would I want to do that. I did go to a couple of AA meetings, but I went to support a friend who had a larger drinking problem. I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. That's not to say that AA doesn't do phenomenal work. It does for a certain type of person or a certain type of personality or if their, their training method uh, relates to a certain type of person. Me, I, just, I didn't want to associate with Alcoholics Anonymous. I was just a social drinker. Sometimes I drank too much when I drank too much, whether it was in one go or whether it was over time, I realized that it was keeping weight on me. It was making me look tired. It was affecting my relationships. It was sapping my productivity. It was not destroying, but it was certainly influencing my romantic relationships in a bad way that I was like, you know what? I just I just want to quit and take a break. Or at the time when I set out, it was like, let's just do it for 30 days and then you know, maybe we go back to moderate drinking afterwards. So I never related to AA. I really focused this program, 30 Day No Alcohol Challenge, to the social drinker. I'm not a doctor and I never pretend to be able to help someone who would ordinarily be clinically diagnosed as an alcoholic. I can't, maybe I can help you. My 30 Day No Alcohol Challenge may be able to help you. I hope it does. I think it can, but I'm not saying that I'm a doctor and I'm an expert. I'm more like aiming it at that that social drinker who wants to cut back or quit entirely.
0: I think that's really smart. It's great, dude. I I applaud you. It's a a great idea and it's a great service. And I mean, to me, like, you know, having had quite a bit of experience around people that are clinically alcoholics for sure, sober and not, uh, I'd say by the sheer fact that you just made a decision and you used your own will and you just went, you know what, I'm done. I'm taking a break Mm. for however long that is. Probably, to me at least, being an admitted alcoholic, you know, with with the stripes to prove it, is that I would say you're a social drinker based on the fact that you made a decision, you use your own willpower and you just stopped. Yeah. And you could probably have one beer right now and then stop tomorrow too. Yeah. You know, whereas like someone who's really crossed that line, they need more help than that, you yeah. know. So I'm I'm really excited that you're doing something because there's a lot of people that are like that, you know? Yeah. And um, and they might try something like this and think they're a social drinker and find they fail miserably and they just keep getting worse and worse and worse no matter what program or book they read or whatever. Wow. And then, you know, they seek some kind of deeper level of help, you know? So yeah. I think it's I think it's very cool because Thanks, uh, I think the, the world will be better off with more um, conscious beings
1: walking around on it, you know? Yeah.
0: And not there's anything wrong. I don't have anything against drugs or alcohol at all.
1: God knows. Um, and neither do I. I want to make that point. Thank you for saying that. I'm not here to say alcohol is the devil. It's not. It's just... I'm just a guy that quit drinking and the benefits of not drinking far outweigh any temporary illusionary pleasure of drinking and I learned how to stay quit and that's just better for me. But if you want to drink occasionally, you want to drink a lot sometimes, just fine, do it. <laughs> the moment it starts impacting your life negatively though, that then it becomes an issue. But if it doesn't have any noticeable impact, right, if it's not like destroying your relationship, it's not affecting your health – Drink away, you know, like it's fine. First step really is awareness, you know. A lot of people are out there just drinking and using drinking as a social crutch and not even aware how much it is affecting you. You know, money, how much do you spend on alcohol? Sleep, how is your sleep affected from it? productivity, clarity, focus, all these things, man. It can cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, I mean, even if you're not an alcoholic and you're just so unlucky as to get a DUI,
0: I mean, DUIs are really expensive. And you might be someone who just, you know, I mean, the legal limit is so low, you could have three glasses of wine and technically get a DUI or something like that. I mean,
1: it can get expensive it's, in that yeah, way too. it's crazy here. In, in Australia, you, you, you're not allowed to be over 0.05. Here, it's 0.08, so it's almost, it's always like double here. They're oh yeah, you can drink a little bit more here. I'm like, that's crazy to me. In that's Australia, they are so strict on drunk driving. It's crazy. I would think it'd be the other way around. No, they're, they're ma- like, like yeah. Australia is a massive drinking culture, but they are so strict on drunk driving, it's insanity. They got these really graphic television commercials called, um, if you drink and drive, you're a bloody idiot. And it's not funny. It's like really serious. They they do these whole things where someone, they're driving and they crash. And the next thing you know, there's a body being taken away in an ambulance. It's very confronting. And then they got this other slogan, like mates don't let mates drink and drive. So they're trying to get into that male camaraderie. It's like, you know, if you're a good mate, then you don't let you might go off and, and drink, even though it's like, oh, you'll be right, mate. You've had a few beers. <laughs> yeah, go on, yeah. drive the car.
0: Yeah. But
1: like, it's they're pretty good. And they the, the advertising, I mean, like it has to be because, man, it's such a drinking culture. Yeah. you know, I'm the odd one out. I mean, I'm one of the, the When few. you go back
0: home, they must think you're an alien. Like, what happened to you in California?
1: <laughs> they do, they do. But here's the thing. Um, how you respond to that, Affects everything for me. I'm like, ah, no worries. I make fun of the fact that I don't drink. So yeah, I'm going to get drunk on the soda water tonight. I'm going to swing from the rafters. Whoa, I am getting wasted on all these waters. Like I make fun of it, and then people see that I'm confident. I don't care, and they're like, cool, all right, sweet, no, no big deal. Whereas a lot of people, when they first do the challenge, they're like, oh, I'm worried what people are going to think if I don't, if I stop drinking. Like I'm not going to fit in. I won't be able to have a good time. I'll have to cower in the corner, and they're going to be asking me all these questions. They're going to think I'm an alcoholic because I'm taking a break. No, it's just own it. Like, just like, yeah, I'm taking a break for a while. Oh, I went a bit too hard in February. I'm going to take a break in, February, in March, you know. Yeah, I'm too strong in mind. I'm too strong to drink. Yeah, I'm going to use all the money I'm saving and go to, the, go to the beach or go on a trip next month or something. Like, just give any reason and deliver it with, like, no big deal. And then it's amazing how much people don't care. Yeah, People think they care, but they don't.
0: It's like that with anything that you, you know, if someone's kind of putting you on the defense, if you fall for it and you take the bait and you become defensive, it makes them push harder. Yeah. You know, whereas if you just kind of own it, like you're saying, and make light of it, there's nothing for them to work with. They can't, right. they can't get anything to grab onto to keep ribbing you. It's right. like, yeah, cool. Yeah, make fun of me all night long. It's great, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I wanted to uh, cover one more thing uh, before we wrap it up here, and that is your 47-day habit hacker. Mm-hmm. What's that all about?
1: Yeah, so I, over the years, I got to interview movie stars, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Tom Cruise, Steven Spielberg. When I was a Center anchor, I got to interview Tom Brady, David Beckham, um, Magic Johnson, Kobe Bryant, like all the world's most successful uh, Hollywood stars, pro athletes. And then I've, I've had the uh, good fortune to interview some of the world's billionaires as well, like Elon Musk, uh, for example, and Mark Cuban. And in all those interviews, I always asked them like success habits, great tips, little, little tips and tricks. And so what I did was I put together 47 of the best of them that they had told me uh, into a program called 47 Day Habit Hacker. And they're essentially just little miniature habits that we can all do every day uh, that are really easy to incorporate, which when you add them all up over time, gives you huge, big results. For example, As we're recording this, we're sitting in my living room, right? Now, if you look, I'm sitting facing what you think is a television screen. But it's not a television screen. It's just a computer screen. I don't have a television. I don't have cable. I have nothing. When I sit down in this living room, what am I looking at?
0: You're looking at probably every business, personal development (laughs) book ever
1: published. (laughs) Right. So, I have created – I read a book a day and I have books everywhere. I've got them here. So, the habit that I have created – the visual cue is one of books and learning. So you think about most people come home from a day's work and they pour themselves a drink or they get something and they sit down in their living room. And what is, where does the, what is the sofa face? It faces the TV, right? So they'll pick up the remote control, they'll go click and they'll start to watch TV. The average American watches something like three hours of TV a day. It's insane. So for me, when I sit down... What do I see? I see books. So now I go, instead of reaching for a remote control, I, read, I reach for Ben Greenfield's book, Beyond Training, and I start reading it. I, read for, uh, I reach for Bill Harris's book, The New Science of Super Awareness. I reach for Tony Robbins' book, Money, Master the Game. And so now I've created the habit of learning and reading a book a day just by influencing my, the visual cues in my living room. The other thing I do is to keep regular exercise, the habit of regular exercise. Every night before I go to sleep, I get my exercise clothes ready and I put them on the floor at the end of my bed. So the first thing I see in the morning when I wake up is my gym shorts, my gym tank top, my shoes, my socks, my water bottle, my gym bag. It's all prepared. So when I wake up, before I even go to the bathroom, I'll just wake up and I'll put the clothes on because I see them and then I'll go to the bathroom and then you know, I'll have some water or something and then I'll leave the house and I'll go and and do exercise. So, I've created the habit of exercise simply by creating a visual cue. So, the 47-day Habit Hacker Program is just the collection of 47 of the best little habits like that that I've accumulated from the world's most successful people and people just go through the program, they, they implement each habit and then the idea is at the end of it, they're like, they're exercising regularly, they're eating well, they're feeling happier, they're, they're reading more, they're watching less TV and just you know, life is considerably better.
0: That's awesome. So in alignment with the beginning of the conversation as we close here, it sounds like you've actually got three really great ways to make a living and also contribute to society, right? You're actually doing something that helps people in a meaningful way and building great businesses around that. So I respect that in terms of being an entrepreneur that is conscious. And not that there's anything against selling widgets and making a bunch of money either. I just like I look at that and go, yeah, that's really fun because I I do a lot of things like that too that really have an impact on people's lives and are also good business ideas. So yeah. I love that, man, and I want to thank you for
1: your contribution. That, well, thank you very much and thank you for your contribution. I mean, you're doing great things. You're interviewing amazing People and you're an amazing person as well because you're interviewing amazing people and because you're wanting to get that message out into the world, so it just feels good. And it's not woo woo, pat ourselves on the back, aren't we so clever, and you know, feel good factor. It's just if you can do something that inspires someone to be a little bit better, that's okay, it's a good thing, like it feels good for you, it feels good for them, you're contributing. And but I will say, just so. The listener isn't just going, ah, this is all positive crap. You can make a lot of money doing it too. So I want to bring it back to reality. It's like I chase the dollar. Like I said, I don't want to come across as like I'm such a noble guy who's fighting for the cause of humanity and I don't want anything in return. No, I want something in return. I want, sure. I want money so I can build a nice home and provide for my family and to keep helping more people. Absolutely.
0: Amen to that. Okay, so in closing, I want to ask you a three-part question. I mean, you've got a lot of books sitting in front of us. You just named quite a few of them. They all look fantastic. I'm familiar with a few of them. So you've taught us some things about life today, James. Who have been three of your most meaningful teachers, philosophies, or teachings? Mm. Could be in the form of a book, a person, um, you know, uh,
1: Mm.
0: a way of thinking, anything like that.
1: Yeah, I'll give you three different... People. So Keith Ferrazzi wrote the book Never Eat Alone, and that was a pretty instrumental book in my life. In the sense that it just totally rewired my brain from going into a relationship thinking how can this person help me, and just changing it to how can I help this person first. And just by doing that, my entire life has changed. I've got so much more back just by leading with that, helping people. So Keith Ferrazzi. Uh, in fact, I actually typed out the notes of that book. And if your listener wants me to send those to them. If you go to my website, which is jameswanick.com, I will send you those notes. I wrote the notes cool. like five years ago. They're really cool. So that way cool. you don't we'll have to put read it in the book. show notes yeah. too. Ty Lopez is a marketer and a business coach, somewhat controversial. People either love him or, or hate him. Um, but I met him a few years ago and I invested a considerable amount of money to be educated and taught by him on building a business and being an entrepreneur. And it worked out great for me quite frankly because he, he taught me a whole lot of systems, um, how to create websites and funnels and market and get people's attention and, and payments and processing and all those kind of things. So, he gets a bad rap from a lot of people because he's like, here's my big mansion, here's my Lamborghini, here are my pretty girls and all that kind of stuff. But I can tell you because I've known him now for three years, he's a genuinely really nice guy, great guy and he's been very instrumental in, in my entrepreneur
0: I, th- I think that's just a sign of him being a good marketer. Wonderful market. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like the mansion, the Lamborghini, yeah. the girls like that's called marketing. Yeah. It's like, it's funny to be critical of that. And you know, you can be critical of whatever you want, but yeah. I'm not even that familiar with his stuff. But when you tell me that, and I've heard that too, I go, yeah, he, that's called smart marketing. Yeah. That makes people want to buy your program. Hello. You yeah. know. So um, anyway, what's the
1: third? And then the third one is, uh, the, the rock star, John Bon Jovi. And, uh, it's an unusual one, but I'll tell you. I'll, I'm going to tell you why. So, first concert I ever saw was Bon Jovi in 1987 at the Brisbane Entertainment Centre on the Slippery When Wet tour, and I just went crazy for Bon Jovi. Had posters on the wall, became obsessed with John Bon Jovi. And 30 years later, I'm still obsessed with John Bon Jovi to the to the to the to the length that each day I go into Google News and I type in Bon Jovi and I see all the news stories about Bon Jovi. But it's not because I actually like their music anymore, because quite frankly, their music in my opinion, is, is very average these days. But he is a person I really respect. He married his childhood sweetheart. Her name's Dorothea. He's got four kids. He's a family man. He gives to charity. He's super nice. He's very loyal and honest. He never says bad things about anyone. And just the idea of like having a wife and being and raising a family and having good, strong family values and still making hundreds of millions of dollars and being super charitable, I just like. I just like that. And so I kind of hold him up as a as a as a role model. It's like, I want that kind of life where I've got a nice wife and kids and good family life. I'm successful. I make millions of dollars. I, I give to charity. I'm helping people and and life is just good. So that's yeah. awesome.
0: That's I would like never have guessed that looking at the books that we're looking at. But yeah. it's interesting. A couple of my trips to New York I'll be somewhere and someone will inevitably say, "Oh yeah, John Bon Jovi owns that building." Oh yeah? I don't know if you know that. Yeah, he owns a lot of real estate in New York. He's quite the quite the investor.
1: Yeah, he's a very smart mm-hmm. entrepreneur. He and is, yeah. Bon Jovi is not just a band. I mean, it's like he's the CEO of a that's a massive organization. Like it's it's huge. Like everything to do with merchandise and tours and like it's. It's. He's a very savvy entrepreneur. He tried to to buy the Buffalo Bills a couple of years ago and failed. Um, I just like everything about it. You know, entrepreneur, family man, creative. I just wish his music would be better these days. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: never you never know. Maybe maybe he'll surprise us one of yeah. these days. All right, James. Well, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. Where can we find you? You've mentioned a couple of your sites. Go ahead and give us anything you want to give us in terms of the links that we'll put in the show notes.
1: Yeah, so my main personal website is jameswanick.com. You spell my last name S-W-A-N-W-I-C-K. So it's spelled Swanwick, but it's pronounced Swanwick. I'm on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, James Swanwick. You can find me there. Uh, if you're interested in taking a 30-day break from alcohol, you can go to 30daynoalcoholchallenge.com, and if you're interested in the Swanies blue light blocking glasses, then you can go to uh, swanicsleep.com, and you'll find out more. And if you're on a cell phone now, I can send you a link to more information on the Swanies. You can just text the word Swanies, which is S-W-A-N-N-I-E-S, to the number four four two 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 it only works if you're in the us and canada by the way but if you do that i'll just text you back a link where you can read up some more about the dangers of blue light and um, there's a there's a free book there as well like seven ways to sleep better so
0: awesome man thank you so much really great to come over thanks for having me in your home and thanks for letting me into your head thank you
1: luke and great questions by the way you're a very good interviewer so thank you awesome man see you soon
0: We don't care where you go, but you can't stay here, alright? The bar's closed. But fret not, even though I have to leave you today, you can still get over to LukeStory.com and sign up for my newsletter right on the homepage. When you do that, I'm going to send you an email every week when a new episode comes out, not the least of which being number 34 next Tuesday, where I interview Shiva Rose. And lastly, before I bounce, I want to remind you to click subscribe on your podcast app so that each week, every episode gets downloaded automatically. And don't forget to share this episode or this podcast in general with someone you love. See you next week. You know what? I really like you. You know why? Because you listen to my podcast. You know what else I like? I like Bulletproof Coffee. So put those two things together. And what we've got is a sweet discount code at Bulletproof.com for you. That's right. Enter the code LukeStory story at checkout and save 10% off your order from one of my favorite nutrition sites of all time. If you haven't had bulletproof coffee by now, I don't know if you've been living on Mars or what, but it's a game changer, guaranteed. And if you're not into coffee, there's tons of great chocolate products and all sorts of things. The hot cocoa is amazing. So there are alternatives if you're not a coffee drinker like myself, but I just encourage you to get over there and check it out. It's a very stellar company with some amazing health-related products. Save 10% by entering the code LUKESTORY at checkout.